Here we go. Screen Heat Miami. We got a big one. Yeah, another one. Everyone is a big one. Every single one is a big one, and it gets bigger and bigger, much like the Miami Heat's playoff run. We just keep doing the impossible. Keep doing the impossible. Eastern Finals for the Heat, first time since the Big Three era. They're playing some, some great ball. In the bubble. They're, they're busting up that bubble. Not one big superstar. They all work like the Borg. But I got to tell you, that Butler has won my heart. Butler is a star. They're all stars, but Butler steps back. Yeah. Let's everybody shine. Butler time comes. He comes in. <laughs> Turns up the heat. <laughs> Absolutely. But, yeah, all the sports teams doing well except for our – our poor, lovable Dolphins. The Heat are doing well in the playoffs. The Canes are too. I know we got the Marlins making a playoff push, and the Dolphins are on too. <laughs> I thought we weren't going to talk about the Dolphins. We got to talk about them. You know, it's like your little cousin that ain't half fried, but you got to you got to bring him to the party. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're not More invited to the barbecue. That's just my cousin. Don't worry, he's my little cousin. He's all right. He'll, he'll figure it he out. He ain't invited to the barbecue. <laughs> he'll straighten himself out soon. <laughs> he'll grow up. He'll grow up. <laughs> but, Intern Andre yeah, in the see. house. Intern Andre's in the house for another special appearance. You have to wait to the outro to hear some really tantalizing talk about Mandalorian season two. I want to hear what he has to say about the Marlins. Just really quick. Oh, yeah. Couple of words. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I used to play baseball. Um, I'm, it's really exciting to see them. Um, you know, they got some momentum. They got a really nice young team. Not, not too many, you know, huge stars, except for uh, Sixto Sanchez, one of the, the pitchers. But, you know, it's exciting to see them, you know, in, like, playoff talk. I don't know how far they'll make it, but it's just exciting to see them there again. So I guess the new owner did have a plan. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks like it's working. it's working out just a little bit. Okay. That Yankee work ethic. And speaking of work, I think we should get to work by at least announcing who we are. Screen Heat Miami. Sharply. JL Martinez brought to you by Multimedia. Cinevision. Chemical. And the Miami Media and Film Market. And we've got a really yes, but I'm gonna I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Mr. Sharply tee it up. Who we got today? <laughs> Lovecraft Country, my favorite show on right now. We have someone who was in the last episode, Lucius Baston. It won't be the last episode when you hear it. It's the episode before last. But he's been in many, many shows. You want Lucius in your show because he's been in so many Emmy-winning and nominated shows, I think that he might be an X Factor. Could be. Could be the lucky cast <laughs> member. That brings Homeland. It home. Wow. Speaking of home. Atlanta. One, mm-hmm. of the, one of the funniest characters I've seen on TV on this episode of Atlanta. Absolutely. Done by Mr. Baston. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So, this is going to be an interview. 
He is a tremendous actor, tremendous talent. He's also a producer. So we're going to get an earful from him and hear oh, yeah. about his journey in the industry. That's, that's exciting. And speaking of exciting news from the local home front, Critical Thinking, which has been out on the, the streaming VOD run, has been doing very well. It's, it's cracked the top 10 on a couple of platforms and most recently had a, a really great premiere in New York at the Latino Film Festival for a drive-in screening, sold it out, and has just been knocking it out of the park. It's been a love affair with audiences and critics all over the country. We interviewed Carla, or you did, but when, when you interview, I interview. When I interview, you interview. Mm-hmm. Early on. Yeah. Yeah. Way, yeah, way, way before. Way. The release. Way. So yes. you have to go back to that episode. Absolutely. Check out that episode. We recorded live on set at Hialeah Park Studios where they filmed several scenes of the movie. And we'll see if you can pick them out. Uh, one is more obvious than the other two, but yeah, that was uh, a lot of people don't know that a lot of that production, including all the high school scenes, were shot in the great city of Hialeah. Hialeah, bringing it home. Oh yes, John Leguizamo's directorial debut, and he also crushed it in the acting realm as he always does. Indelible character, as he always does. So. Tremendous, tremendous job by Mr. Leguizamo. Absolutely. And now with all the the diversity push at the Oscars, maybe there could be some Academy buzz. You never know. Maybe. You got to see. Maybe. It's played at theaters now, so. We got to start the buzz. Here we go. Screen heat. Always starting the buzz. Yes. And speaking of awards, perfect segue, the Emmys just happened. We talked about the Emmys. Mr. Baston being on a lot of Emmy-winning shows. Mm-hmm. But the Emmys itself just passed over the weekend. And I loved it. I loved, oh, yeah. I loved the format and the way that they were able to connect. I mean, no one knew what they were going to do, but Jimmy Kimmel handled it definitely. You know, they had a few little sputters, a couple, not even a few. I mean, I really love the format and the intimacy of the show. Right. But well, if COVID has taught us nothing is that we're becoming more intimate with each other. <laughs> yeah, in our pockets, in our intimate in our, pockets. That's very intimate. <laughs> <laughs> but but, uh, it, but it, was, it was... We were talking about diversity, you know, definitely also a diverse year at the... Emmys, uh, they gave Tyler Perry the, the Governor's Award, which is like their version of the Lifetime Achievement Award with, for his entire amazing body of work uh, that Tyler has been creating for years and years now out of his home base in the ATL. So kudos to Tyler Perry. Kudos to, to Eddie Murphy winning for SNL, guest yeah. host. Yeah, he deserved it. Absolutely. He certainly deserved it. He's so effortless. He One just, of our legacy talents, that's for sure. You don't have to do anything. Just look at you and you're on the floor laughing. 
Yeah, you just got to stand there and be like, yeah, I'm Eddie Murphy. What the, what, what, what's wrong with you, motherfucker? I'm the winner. I won this shit. That's mine. <laughs> that's it. And that's it. One. But it was, it was historic. Actually. It was historic. One of the most watched SNLs in recent memory. One of the most successful in terms of ratings, in terms of just the overall feel. It just felt like the good old days of SNL. And it was just, just good, good, good TV. Yes. For the Emmys, this was an Emmys that had the most black nominees, the most black winners. So it really did cover a lot of diversity. Mm-hmm. But, and, and also had Zendaya. Zendaya was the youngest to ever win. So that was pretty, pretty remarkable. But it did also have a lot of notes of sweeps Shit's Creek oh yeah just swept it up their last oh, yeah. season that show was funny that show was the Shit's Creek <laughs> it was the shit <laughs> it is the shit you know it's on Netflix so I'm binging away Shit's super is funny the, shit. the Watchmen did incredible yeah. They had the most noms, 22 noms, 23 noms. But Regina Absolutely. King, most winning female actress in history now. So most Emmys. So The Watchmen did, did really well. One of my favorite shows, Secession. We talk about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Won four awards. So um, that was really great to see. Yeah. Um, I do want to give a special shout out Roger Walsh Williams, who um, who I know, he won an Emmy for um, his documentary on the Apollo. So we got to give it out, give a shout out to Roger Walsh Williams, Oscar and Emmy winner. Um, you talk about Glow a lot. It was nominated, so I got to give a shout out to JL. One of his favorites had a nom. Oh, love me some glow. Mark Maron's amazing in that. The whole cast. The whole perfect, cast. Perfect casting all around. And what about Quibi? Quibi making some noise. Now, this new category, which is the category on short content, Amy kind of, Quibi kind of, uh, swept on that. Sure. I mean, they're the only major, I guess, major streamer working in that field primarily or exclusively. So, uh, plus, you know, with all the star power that they have in their initial slate of content, you know, from talented actors to, you know, just kind of like everything that they've done uh, to really put a lot of effort in story and character development, bring major players you know, everything from Antoine Fuqua, who show one, to Steven Spielberg, to just an A-list of talent that's just been pumping content into that platform. Makes sense that the critics would agree that it's it's high-quality stuff. You know, the audiences haven't really come around to it yet, but who knows? Maybe it just needs a little extra time. Maybe. Jimmy Kimmel made that joke. Do you remember the joke? Remind us the joke. Worst billion dollar ever, billion dollars ever spent. 
I thought you were referring to the joke that he got, uh, he was trying to get canceled over. He made some kind of crazy joke about the, uh, the what's his name, um, last week tonight, John Oliver, saying that he was going to call ice on him for winning an Emmy over him. <laughs> right. That's one, too, yeah. Oh, that was great. Yeah. You got a little heat for that one, but I look, it's a joke. It's a comedy show. Come on, guys. Yeah. It was funny. One more shout out. Ron and Jasmine Cephas Jones, the first father daughter duo to win Emmys. Incredible. Yeah. Historic year all around at the Emmys. She won for her Quibi show. And he's one of my favorite actors. Journeyman actor, but everything he's in is is tremendous. Absolutely. So. Yeah. So, yeah, just a, a very interesting year for the Emmys. And I'm sure as the streaming wars continue, more quality TV content being pumped out of multiple platforms, we're going to be seeing and hearing a lot out of, out of the Emmys for quite some time. Yeah. And as Hollywood ramps back up for production... We'll get that content flowing again, too, I guess. Yeah, finally, Hollywood labor unions uh, and management have uh, agreed to, to terms for the, what they call the safe way forward, which was part of their protocols initially presented way back in June uh, that they've been kind of going back and forth on and finally came to an agreement in how to safely proceed uh, production in the age of COVID, uh, which you know includes many things that we probably – would have guessed were coming, like strictly enforcing testing, safety protocols, creating these sort of zones between departments and areas of sets. Uh, also, you know, making sure that everybody's using that PPE, masks up at all times, unless obviously you're acting uh, or eating or doing any of that kind of stuff, social distance, all those things that we kind of expected, but they've, they finally kind of hammered up down into one agreement that all the unions and looks like the major studios have also agreed to. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to see w- what's going to happen. I mean, you know, they started up in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you look at Batman. Yeah. Rather out of the gate, Robert Pattinson uh. comes down with COVID. Sure. And look, and I, you're right, but none, none of this is 100% foolproof. So I think that there is going to be, especially now, they're talking about a potential second wave in Europe before there's a second wave in the U.S. So, you know, there, there's still a lot of intangibles. But again, I think now that Hollywood has been shut down for close to six months, essentially, uh, they definitely need to figure out creative ways to ramp back up you know, for fear of falling too far behind, you know, because of all the need for content. And even the great Netflix eventually mid 2021 is going to be out of new stuff. Uh, so, you know, the only silver lining there is that maybe they'll push up the release of Cobra Kai, which needs to happen. <laughs> but it always yeah. goes back to Cobra Kai. Everything goes back to Cobra Kai. I think it's like the life philosophy for everything now surrounds the Cobra Kai mentality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that show too. So it's hard. No mercy. So I think production right now is showing no mercy. They want to push forward. They are taking safety precautions into serious consideration. Obviously, it comes down to also personal responsibility. You know, you have to trust your actors and crews that they're going to respect 
respect the rules. Obviously, you know, uh, there's not going to be constant enforcement from the unions or guilds. There's not enough manpower to do that. But, you know, I think as long as everyone from cast to crew to everyone involved in the production industry, you know, just really respects the rules, I think they should have a fairly decent run. Yeah. I mean, we spoke about Tyler Perry. He's able to shoot both two seasons of his shows. So with no real problems. Right. So, right. I mean, he definitely has, I'd say the most foolproof plan. Again, we, it goes back to his unique facility that he essentially owns this army base in Atlanta that's been converted into a compound, a production compound. They call it a, 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 a what is it? A, a production summer camp. But it's really just once you're in, you're in. You're locked in. You finish your show, then you can go back out. But other than that, there's not a lot of in and out. There's not a lot of opportunity for outside uh, exposure. I didn't know that they were calling it a production summer camp, but I guess that's apropos. When you got free food, free housing, 24-7, you know, they're doing, like, outdoor movie screenings, open bar every night for the crew. (laughs) I want to go. <laughs> I want to go too. I, I want to be the gaffer. <laughs> I don't next care. Time, next time I'm in Atlanta. Yeah. Where do we send our resume? Just going to pop in. No resume. I'm just going to pop in. Just pop in. We're here to do our podcast. We're going to, we're, we're going to Tyler Perry guys our podcast. <laughs> did you see what the rock did? He popped off. I saw he was he was speaking of guys that moved to Atlanta. Apparently, yeah, he was he was late to set or gonna be late to set. His Black Adam wasn't working right, and it was a storm. So he literally, freaking He-Man style, just ripped the gate out of the hinges. Black Adam style. <laughs> he is headed to Black at the set of Black Adam. Wow! <laughs> well, just pulled the gate off. Hell yeah. That's that Miami swagger coming through. That's what it is. That's right. Hurricane for life. Hurricane Johnson just tearing it up. (laughs) Tearing it up. I love it. So let's go to... Speaking of tearing it up, I really want to get into your interview. I'm so excited. Let's go straight into this hurricane. Acting hurricane that is Lucius Gaston. Hardware into his realm whenever he... He, he jumps on a project. Yes. So without further ado, here is Mr. Lucius Baston. Out of Atlanta, actually. The interview was out of Atlanta. So here we go. I'm here with Lucius Bastion. Baston. I just bastardized. I bastardized your name. Bastardized the Bastone. Bastone. (laughs) Lucius Bastone. Very excited about this. This is a long time coming. I'm a fan. Thank you, man. It's been a a while. It has been been a while. Because we were just talking about earlier how we just, you know, we met back at the, you know, uh, Black Film Festival in Miami. Yeah, I think it was the 13th annual at the time. Yeah. Uh, but that's 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 pretty dope and we've always kind of just, you know, touch base hand now online. You know, I mean, yeah. so it was 
Dope. That's cool. How are you, man? You good? <laughs> I'm good, man. We got a lot of things cranking. So, you know, the um, this whole time period, you know, of, you know, it's not the shutdown anymore, but this whole time period has been, you know, really busy. But I see that I, I see that you've been really busy. Yeah. I didn't want to lead off with this, but I'm going to go ahead and lead off with this Lovecraft, Lovecraft Crunch, Lovecraft Country. My favorite show. Oh man, tell me about it, man. It's like <laughs> I'm a, I'm a show. Like even if I wasn't even affiliated at all, I'd be watching that show because that show is everything, almost everything we've always wanted, unapologetically. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I talk about, and that's what for me makes it one 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 of my favorites is that it is unapologetic. We, you know, I, I oftentimes talk about how, you know, the black char- character, you're waiting to see if the black character is even going to make it to the end of the movie or the end of the right. show. <laughs> but in this one, I mean, it really is, you know, the black characters. So um, when I saw, you know, I've been wanting to do this interview for a while, but it, it, it's really amazing that, you know, we're able to connect. And then you were actually in... I'm not going to say one of my favorites. It's my favorite show right now. So you're in, you are in my favorite show right now. So I want to just talk about being on set for that. Okay. Tell me how you felt being on set there. Well, what was really cool about what they shot, there's about a few different locations where, where they, where they shoot this show here. Here um, in Atlanta, and then also up in Canada. But here, uh, for for the scenes that I had to do, it was right at Black at Black Hole Studios, and it was really cool because they really put all this fifty vibes out, this fifties vibe, and everything. And so, I, I'm I think anytime you're in the room with just these these sort of people, and what I mean by these sort of people, I'm like these people you've looked up to, <laughs> you know, your your whole life watching TV, you know, for instance with Courtney B. Vance, and uh, and then uh, and then uh, Anjanou Ellis. Now I don't know if you know Anjanou Ellis is who plays Hippolyta. Yeah, but she, uh, oh my God, if you've ever seen it, she did Maddie Clark in the Clark Sisters. Yeah, this Oh my goodness! So, um, my main scene was was with her, uh, but but pretty much the days I was there, I was around around her and Courtney B. Vance, and, and then of course, Majors, you know, um, who was from the Last Man of San Francisco. So I'm I'm in there with you know, even though he's new, he he's starting off, kind of like Chadwick Boseman did. You know, you just see him, and then all of a sudden he's they're taking off. Yeah, and uh. And then you have Misha Green, the writer, who did the underground, you know, for for I think it was the CW, I believe it was. But uh, and doing, she's there on set every day, <laughs> you know. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was just, it was just. I'm always, man. I'm always in a state of gratitude, man, because it was just a refreshing thing. It's always refreshing, um, especially when you see. 
uh, that much blackness in the room, <laughs> you know, because because it's diverse, of course. But normally you normally see one or two on, on usually other sets. So to see it was like, oh, OK, we, we here. All right. This, this is happening. So that that's always that's always a good experience because it's not the norm. And so so that's really, really cool about it. So we're going to circle back to Lovecraft Country more towards the end of the interview when I was going to put that there anyway. And we're, <laughs> and we're, and we're going to go back, way back. We're going to go back, back to New York. Ah, the stopping ground. <laughs> yeah. Order raised, please do your book. PS 121, that's a school, people, if you don't know what PS means, public school. I think New York's the only place that still calls it, calls it schools public school. They let you know it's public. It's yeah, not up right. Public. right up front. No, man, Puerto Rico, Queens, man. Um, I, I would say probably the best thing that ever happened to me because uh, growing up around everybody, every every ethnicity, going to school with everyone, that exposure, it, I think is key uh, to, to a lot of your expansion of yourself. You know what I mean? So coming up in age, I'd say, if you ever want to know how I grew up, you know, watch the movie The Sandlot, and then you'll see my childhood. That's my, that's my childhood, if you ever see the movie The Sandlot. And, uh, but, uh, but what's interesting is I was never involved in acting at all. And uh, it was never a class I took. It was just, I was always in the, into music. Music was my thing in New York. Yeah, I saw you were so a DJ. I was DJing, spinning yeah. records, spinning. Yeah, spinning by age of 11. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I was so good at it. I became, my, my older brothers made me part of their crew. You know, so to do parties, block parties. I mean, talking about getting paid at clubs. Oh, man. I even got paid. I, oh, I even got paid to do my dance, uh, my school dance. Oh, really? Wow. Oh. Yeah, I even got paid to do that. So, so even though I was a nerd, I was, I was a geek. I ain't going to lie. I, I was a geek. Like, I, they used to call me bookworm. And the only way I was able to step into that cool zone was because I was DJing. So I was like, I was like, yeah, I am DJing, but I was an undercover geek the whole time. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't, and that, that that's that that's that that's pretty amazing because a lot of people don't realize that, and especially in New York, that the DJs were the main show, you know, and yeah. then it transformed yeah. into the MCs, then becoming you know part of um, the the main part of the act, and if you go all the way back to Eric B and Rakim. You'll notice Eric B's name came before Rakim. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely, you you saw um, them even when uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Fresh Prince. DJ came first. Yeah. <laughs> you know so I mean? you were so already that, the center of attention. Yeah, I was. I was there. I was definitely in that comeuppance of hip hop. I was in the birth of hip hop. I, I grew up in that man, and so um, that was probably still one of the most amazing things that I reflect on because I've watched something, a part of our culture that has now taken over the entire world. So I was a part of that movement, so to say. You may not have known my name the way you know P. Diddy's name from music. As a matter of fact, a lot of my friends said, Lou, if you would have stuck with it, 
you would have been P. Diddy. And, and, I, and I agree with them if I would have. But, the, but when we were doing it, it was just fun. You know what I mean? We, I didn't see it as a business model. We, we were just having fun. <laughs> you know, and then it was yeah. like, oh, got to go get a job. I <laughs> <laughs> so but did that part of that and see oh, it's real dope. As a matter of fact, I just showed an old friend a flyer mine because um what's his name? Dr. Jekyll or was it Mr. Hatman? Which one just uh Dr. Jekyll just passed away. Andre Harrell. Andre Harrell, yeah. Right. I did a party. I have a flyer of where I did a party where we were one of some of the guest DJs. Oh, so, act Dr. Jekyll and Hyde and then you see Cypher Sounds featuring DJ Little Lou you know to my brother Easy E and all that and, and our crew so I was I was in it you know what I mean I didn't know how thick I was in it but we were in it wow and if you to go down that road um certainly my 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 life would be something different it would be in the music side of the house do, do you feel like that helped to prepare you to go into this side of the entertainment industry? Anything creative does. So it, cer it certainly got me ready for that because I'm already performing, so to speak. So even as a DJ, a dancer, or whatever you're doing artistically, you're performing. You know, so I was, I was putting on a show, which is what I was doing. And uh, so absolutely uh, got my creative juices going for it. I just didn't know I'd be heading in this direction, uh, but certainly prepared me. Being in New York, Hip hop scene, DJ, and yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> if you notice, look at all the um, artists like Queen Latifah. Look at Will Smith. Look at all these people that that have eventually moved into film and TV, which is crazy to me because it never dawned on me as I'm sitting there watching them do this stuff. Even LL Cool J too. You know that that hey, I can do that. That never clicked. Never once did that go. Oh snap. <laughs> which, which is but i guess you know your time is your time <laughs> you know yeah you're not ready something until you decide to do it you know yeah so you're in new york what made you decide to move into this industry did you move wow. from new york first or did you I know you were in the military. Yeah, um, this all happened after, after stance. Um, because I, I joined the military when I was uh, 18 uh, and was act, went active when I was 19 in the Air Force. So I'd left pretty much everything behind, the music and all that, even though my partners would still send me music, the latest, the latest tapes, and hey, here's, here's Eric B. Rocky, oh, here's all the stuff that's out now. Um, I stopped DJing completely when I was over, I was stationed overseas in the Philippines. So I wasn't doing any music, but I was around music, but I wasn't doing any. But when I got back to the States, uh, I got back into the music scene. So actually promoting for the one and only hip hop club that we had in Tampa, Florida, you know? So I was like, cause there was no hip hop in Tampa, Florida. You could not find it. They were not playing it on the radio. The closest they got to playing it on the radio was Montel Jordan's This Is How We Do It. So there was no, that dude, nobody was playing it. So so when we found this this place, uh, Club Irie was the name of it, in Ybor City, it was like, oh, 
oh my God, and, and we became, I became an instant part of it. And plus one of my childhood friends happened to move down there too. So, you know, we knew each other, you know, through the whole music thing. So we're sitting there promoting this club. And then we started doing a public access radio show called, called the Underground Railroad. And then uh, we were doing it from midnight to 3 a.m. on Sundays. But we had a really good audience that was chiming in because they was like, we don't get any of this stuff. So we were, we were introducing all the latest songs, all the new breaking stuff that you were not hearing at all. So, so it was after. But it's still, still even then, because I, I did the military 11 years, um, I still was not into the acting. It wasn't until uh, maybe once I was getting out of the military um, I got laid off from my job. And when I got laid off from my job, I was moon, I was already moonlighting working at a radio station. Now this was a paid because this wasn't the public access. Now I went to WTMP, which was the oldest black owned station in the state, you know? And so I was, I was doing a gig for them. I had stopped for a little while, but once I got laid off, I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of people being in control of my life. So I said, okay, uh, I'm gonna go back to radio. I went back to radio and it was crazy because people were trying to tell me, don't come. It sucks. Oh my God, the pay, it sucks. You don't want to be here. <laughs> you know? And all I knew, I just had this feeling that I'm going to go back and it's the stepping stone to the next step in my life for whatever I'm doing next. All I knew was it was happening there. Had no idea what it was. So this young lady one day, uh, she's got these, <laughs> These pictures of herself is what I called it. These big pictures of herself at the time. I didn't know what they were. And I said, how conceited you got to be to be carrying around some big ass pictures of yourself. You know, I just don't get it. I don't. Why? Who does that? Nobody. Nobody I know carries around pictures like that. And she's like, I'm an inspiring, I'm an aspiring actress. And I was like, literally at the, at the end of that sentence, I was already, I, I was, what? Huh? What? You know, you're doing what? And uh, literally, I was like, I want, I want headshots. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, uh, so I'm like, I got headshots, bro. And uh, like, I made an appointment to get a, to get headshots. And uh, I, and the guy, the photographer was so full that I got pushed back. Like, it was like a few months that I had to wait to get these headshots. So um, when I finally did go get them. He recommended an acting class, which happened to be close to where I lived in Tampa. Mind you, the photographer's in Orlando. That's an hour away. Oh, wow. And yeah, so he recommended Performer Studio Workshop with Kathy Laughlin. Bless her heart. She had to close down because of COVID. And, um, dude, I, I stepped into this class. And I uh, was watching some of the exercises these actors were doing, like they did, you know, very emotional and putting somebody on the wall is what it was kind of like. And there, you know, some are crying and dispelling and, and just really intense. And I was like, oh my God, I'm in the right place. I just knew I was in the right place. That's all I knew. I was just auditing for free. And that was it, man. I stuck with that class for four and a half years and, to, oh. and learning my craft. I knew I, I, knew I had talent but I knew I needed to know the business. And, uh, and that was, it was just the right place to be, you know, and, and that's where it all started. That's how it started, bro. So you jumped <laughs> off in, in Tampa. 
jumped off in Tampa. So did you just start going to auditions up there in Tampa or did you get an agent? How did, how did it work out? Well, I start, since I started with the class, the class was real good about teaching you about business instrument craft, right? So it was teaching you about the business. So um, it taught us how to go get an agent. So, um, so I was going through that process while doing scenes in class, submitting the agencies. Um, nobody was taking me. Uh, <laughs> you know? uh, but, but I just kept submitting. You know, we had a game plan. You know, so it was like, I'm, I'm going to go after these agents with knowing I wanted to get with Brevard Talent Group, which is in Orlando. I wanted to get with them because we knew that they were doing film and television. So, but I had to start off like with, you know, either Ben's modeling talent and the ones that weren't really connected in that business just to have some sort of representation. So my first jobs were like industrials, you know, uh, training videos for businesses, uh, some, some photography work and uh and I said, yeah just yeah stuff like that and then the way where how i got my break on then my first film was actually something i saw on a website it, it, there used to be this website called the green room in orlando it was based out of orlando and they would just post these castings and so i just submitted i just said okay and, you know i knew i needed to get something i gotta learn right and um so and at the time you had to do monologues monologues really yeah monologues so i kind of made up my monologue on the spot when i went i made it up like i knew where i was going to start and i knew what was going to be in the middle and i knew my ending and i said the rest i'm just going to fill it in and i did and I, it was kind of like a monologue about my relationship with my dad you know, so I knew that was something I could kind of tap into. But it starts off really happy, and then it ended, like, really, really sad. <laughs> it's like, whoa. And they liked my audition so much, they said, hey, we don't have a role for you, but we want to go ahead and at least give you a line or two. Would, would you be okay with that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And dude, and that was the first time I got, that was my first paid acting gig. Wow. 75, $75. And, and that was, it was at that point that I knew I could do it. Because I had a check, I had a check saying, wow, I can do this. Nice. That was it. Yeah. This so, so after you did that one job, mm -hmm. did that help you to land that agency that you wanted to get with or did you continue to get jobs on that with the green green room website or what was the evolution after that i think the evolution was um we would always do these showcases right uh which brought in either agencies or casting directors you know to watch you perform you know so you know they, they know they come to see people green beyond the ears but what happened was uh the owner of Brevard Talent Group, Tracy Danielle, she came down and she was watching. And after the showcase was done, she said, oh, hey, let me let me talk to you, honey. OK, I just want you to come by the office and I want you to do a cold read for me. OK. <laughs> and I was like, oh, bet. You know what I mean? And, and that's what happened. And I went to Orlando, did a cold read for her. She signed me there on the spot. And that was pretty much the start of of being attached to the film and television world. Uh, the, the, but the project that 
that kind of really launched me was um was was bad lieutenant that was the one bad i lieutenant. have that first here on my list yeah <laughs> nicholas cage and nicholas cage and eva mendez even mendez yeah yeah and uh that was that was the one where now funny enough in class they taught us to you know find representation in these different spots and at the time new orleans was just being that top spot because of their incentive at the time. And so, um, so we had an audition. We had brought in another agency for one of the showcases. He was out, he was out of, out of Shreveport. And so he got us this audition. So me and a bunch of other actors, there's probably at least eight of us because we were all auditioning for the same same movie called Father of Lies with Clifton Powell and Vivica Fox. Right. So, so we make it, we get there. I'm reading for roles. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to book this. Cause it's like, uh, and I'm, I'm backtracking a little bit before bad Lieutenant, but there was no way there was like, no way, you know, I'm going to book this 60 year old Deacon. You know what I mean? That that's what they had me reading for everything that looked far older than me. So everyone was happy with audition day. I was like, whatever you know what i mean we make that trek all the way back from shreveport back to florida week later i get the call hey uh was wondering uh they want to know if you want to play the role of percy and i'm like percy like because i didn't see any sides for percy or anything like percy who's percy i said can you send me the script and they send me the script and i'm like let me read it percy okay oh there's percy there's one oh there's there's more percy Oh, whoa, whoa. There's, there's per- Percy. Percy's got a role role. You know what I mean? It was a nice role. I saw the movie. Yeah, it was, it was a nice role. Yeah, so, so you know, I'm, which is funny because I play this kind of nerdy librarian, you know, type dude. And uh, and, um, and I'm amazed that you actually saw Father Lies because I don't know anybody who's seen it. <laughs> oh, Father Lies. Oh, not, no, I didn't see Father Lies. Yeah. I, so I, I play I play this role of Percy, but that kind of that was the role that I first got my SAG card, and it was through. Oh, the next, okay, right. A SAG card, which is why I went back to it, and then it was after that, um, I found a new agency because that agency was kind of double dipping on my money, and I was like, "Yo, no, I don't play with my money, bro," and I uh, got that squared away. So I found a new agency that the uh, producers of uh, Father of Lies recommended, which is open range management. And so it was through her, boom, I got the audition for Bad Lieutenant. For Bad Lieutenant, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I saw Bad Lieutenant. Yeah, and so, uh, and then I remember going, and you know, submitting my, my, my tape. No, I, it was live. Before we were doing tapes, it, it was live. So before, like now you can submit tapes. We had to drive, so we had to drive all the way up to Louisiana for the first for the first audition and then then got the call back <coughs> got the call back for that and the call back had Werner Herzog was there oh wow so he's in the room and so um so I just go in man and I do my thing and I got kind of su- such in the character that I was even talking shit to him <laughs> I mean, man, and so, and so, they was like, man, and, and, uh, 
I left. Be like, man, I don't know if I'm gonna get that because I was kind of going in on him too. You know what I mean? Because when they was like, "Thank you, Lucas," I was like, "Yeah, whatever." Because the role, you know, you, if you saw the yeah, movie, my, in there. yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm exhibits crony. One of exhibits cronies. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, so uh, and so I'm leaving out the door with that attitude. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So, so it was hilarious, man. And 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 they, I got the call. They said, "Hey, he loved you. Wants you to play midget." And um, and I didn't know what the size of the role was. I had no idea that I would have that much FaceTime in that film, you know? And sure enough, man, that was an awesome experience, bro, Bad Lieutenant, because that was just, you know, Nicholas Cage, you know, big scenes with him, pretty much my, all of my scenes with him, yeah. him and exhibit, you know, throughout throughout every part of it. So that was that was my first, like, big experience you know with the, with the known director and all of that and that was the one and i think what where, where it stood out to me for that was between scenes <laughs> well i because of the character i had my inside my character i let me give you a little backdrop of that and my character to me he's a cop he's this white cop and i'm like so i'm i'm not liking this dude period i'm not trusting this white cop you know what i mean i'm just i'm really going there with it and it's like no because you know we 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 dealing and exhibit i'm like and you messing with this with this white cop what is you doing you know that that's my whole mindset and uh so when he came to set i didn't want to meet him so i literally when he came in there's like lucia I, I i walked out to another room because I didn't want there to be any admiration. I didn't want, you know, for anything to come through like like we pals, you know, when this is all said and done, that we're, you know, we're good. No, I, so I, I walked out the room and then we didn't talk first time till we shot. Till we actually shot that scene where I get pulled from the armoire, <laughs> you know, where I'm hiding in the armoire. So, and in between takes, he just goes, he says, man, why aren't you in LA, man? You're, you're a great actor. What, what, what are you doing here? Wow. And um, I said, well, my biggest role is father. So, <laughs> you know. You gotta understand. And, uh, but I think that was, you know, you, you, need, you need your confirmation and your validation every now and then. So if there was any validation then, uh, or, or any type of, inspiration an actor needs you know to know if you're on the right path that was kind of it you know what i mean where, where somebody else who's on a uh different level than you is is saying hey man dude so and and, and that's it man and, and it's been a great ride since man it's been a, it's been a really great ride ups and downs but but that lieutenant was the first man that it wasn't the first thing i've done but that but that was the first one you know I was like, oh, here, here are the big players. All right, this is what it's like. Okay, <laughs> bet. Let's go. And for sure, you know, definitely at that time, Nicolas Cage was, you know, A-list, you know, one of the biggest stars in the world, you know. I mean, it's, you know, he still is Nicolas Cage. And I'm looking forward to, you know, he has a couple of projects coming up that, I, you know, I'm really, really looking forward to. He's a phenomenal actor, Academy Award winning actor. So, you know, that had to also be a little bit intimidating 
I think that that might have been a good choice, you know, kind of meet him later and stay in character. So would you consider yourself more of a method actor or would you consider yourself more of a technical actor? I think it's a, it's a bit of both. I, well, the thing is that there's always, we all have a method, you know, our craft itself is a method, you know what I mean? And we all have a process of however we get to wherever we need to get. So we all have a technique and a method. So I say we're all method actors, you know, um, cause there has to be things that we all do to tap into certain things organically. You know, we just all do it different, you know? So yeah. like for, for my, now, and if we mean method by I need to be in that frame of mind the entire time, no, nah, not for me. I don't, I don't. I don't have to do that. I don't have to like when I leave. Like for instance, if, if I, you know, if I was playing a really grimy character, that I need to leave and keep treating people like crap. You know, long after the day is over, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't need to do anything like that. And and to be honest with you, I think some some people may actually just use that as an excuse. Take advantage of <laughs> some <laughs> nasty people, right. right? I don't know. I, mean, I don't need to go around be, to be menacing to people or anything. Um, but uh, I, I believe certain roles do require that. Uh, if I point to like just uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, you know, it's just, just certain characters. It's like you, you have to be in that. You have to because the camera doesn't lie. You know what I mean? It picks up everything. So, and it's right there in your face. So you need to be able to be that, you know, and when you're being that, it's not a lie. It's a, it's a part of one of your sub personalities. It's, it's within you. It's within all of us, you know, but you have to do certain things to just get there and stay there and that, and that it comes across. And we feel it too. Like when, like, nah, that ain't it. You know, nah, yeah. that, Let's go again. Boom. There it is. Because I, 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 now I feel it. So, um, yeah, yeah so I, I would say I would say method to a degree, but definitely have my technical process, you know, to all of that. You know, and, and certain things don't don't take me a whole lot to get in touch with. You know, I think because I'm just open and available enough to do so. Yeah. Well, definitely. um for me, you're a character actor in that whatever I see you in, certainly you're in that specific place and there are different characters that you've played in some of my favorite shows, you know, and some of my favorite films. You do film and television. I just want to touch on some of these pieces. We'd be here probably until tonight you know, going in, into depth about all of them. But, you know, we're in New Orleans. We're already talking about New Orleans. So let's talk a little bit about Treme. Ah, Treme. That was, that was pretty dope. That was a direct booking too. I didn't even, I didn't even audition for that. Uh, big Megan at RPM Casting, man. Um, I just got a call one day. They was like, hey, they want you for Treme. I was like, a word? Okay. <laughs> but just no, no. You you already booked it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> you know, so that was a, a really great experience. Um, because I had to play saxophone. And and even though it looks like I'm playing, I'm really good at looking like 
I'm playing. <laughs> but fortunately, I played clarinet in school, which is another woodwind instrument. So, so it 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 it, it was right inside my lane, you know, to to go ahead and do that. And, Did uh, you get to work with Wendell Pierce at all on that one? Pierce, my my whole scene is with Wendell Pierce. So. Nice. Um, so that was cool. I'd be like, oh, Wendell Pierce. Nice. Okay. Let's go. And it's been, it's just been that kind of ride. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm learning, I'm watching and I'm learning while I'm working. Yeah. You know what I mean? Same time deserving to be there. Cause I would always say that I was like, I deserve to be here, you know? So, but, but when he was he was dope he's he's probably one of the most grounded cats you know he's just so down to earth man and it's just so cool you know and i've seen that in pretty much most of the stuff i worked in just that cool it's just real people knowing they're gracious enough to do what they love doing and so i'm in that same realm with them and it, so window window was pretty cool. Just watching him uh, and his process, you know, feeling it out. So what we doing? This is okay. All right, let, let let's go. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Yeah, it's just really cool, and it's just an easy day, you know. And, yeah. And not that any easy at all, but it's just because of the way people work. It's it's, right. it's an easy day. Yeah. Yeah. Wendell, I put together a, um, a workshop for the American Black Film Festival and well, not a workshop, a panel, a panel for the American Black Film Festival with Wendell Pierce and Vivica Fox and Stephen Bauer. And, you know, I mean, all of them, incredible, Ronald Lang, all of yes. them incredible people. So having them, there were some technical challenges. But when you are working with people that are consummate professionals and, you know, they really know how to work when those technical issues come up, you're able to wing it. So, you know, we were able to kind of wing it and it was for uh, 300 kids, you know? So we were able to wing it and didn't even miss a step. So, you know, I, I can understand 100% what you're saying. I mean, I didn't work with Wendell Pierce as an actor, hopefully mm -hmm. one day, you know, but yeah. I can understand what you're saying. You know, when you have people that are consummate professionals and they're about the craft and not about all the pomp and circumstance, you know, things kind of move, move about a little bit uh a little bit easier so that's exactly it okay that's so i'm i'm gonna throw some other titles at you homeland just ended that show just ended ah wow i i got the, what was i uh uh some sort of african cab driver <laughs> yeah yeah paris yeah paris the uh and, and um i think that was one of the first times i got to do like an accent Oh wow! Yeah, so that was that was the first time. I, yeah, to to do to do that. Amazing show. Same thing. Like you just talking about. These, you just watch these people, and and you just fall in love with the process. And and, and that show at the time, I think that was this when I did a second season. Might have been the second season, and so this show was still relatively new, but like already on its way. Uh, but but what but when you sit there and you go on the IMDb of these other actors, you know what I mean, and and you just see <laughs> the stuff like the stuff they've done, you know, um, shoot Terminator movies and, and man, 
So it was just a, a, another, I call it another lesson. It was it's just that each one, each experience is this one. Where did you lesson shoot Homeland? That, that's not in, I believe, Wilmington. Okay. Like in, like in Wilmington, North Carolina. You know, at the time they had an so, you know, they were popping for a little bit. And yeah, so yeah, that, yeah. That, that an incentive. They have a studio up there, too. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, so that, that was pretty cool. Um, I'm going to fast forward, and then I'm going to go back. I just want to hit on Atlanta, because I loved your character in Atlanta. Duplicitous, <laughs> disappearing <laughs> all the time. <laughs> oh, my money. <laughs> Nigerian club owner, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah. uh, another another great experience because I remember when I did the audition, even at the end of the audition, I was laughing myself because I said, I know this cat. You know what I mean? When you grow up in New York, you know that cat because, you know, you know so many grimy people. And, being, and especially since being in music and doing clubs, and all of that, and doing club promoting, you know, when I was down, back in Florida, it was like, I said, oh, I got this dude. I got, well, here's my rendition of this dude. You know what I mean? And um, sure enough, man, got it. Went, went to the table read, everybody was there. So Donald, Donald Glover's there. And uh, Childish Gambino. <laughs> but yeah, Donald Glover in, in, in his, in his, uh, producer capacity <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it was just it was because it was just a brilliant piece it was it it was atlanta he in and doing that whole club thing we were actually in this place that you know they said it was in, in an actual club you know i think it was kind of defunct at the time but you know they, they set set directors made it all look the way it needed to look but that that whole process man was just fun just straight up fun um, because all I had to do was what, what I did for, you know, for the audition. It's like, whatever that was, Lucius, <laughs> you know, and, you know, so it's basically, they just let me do what I did. And which is always as a process, pretty cool, you know, because typically a lot of times you can be directed to be like, yeah, that's not what we really want. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, where we like we like you, we like what you did, but we're going in this direction, you know. Uh, but it was kind of nailed. And just doing it with all of my scenes, basically, all but, I think all but, no, all the scenes. It was like five or six scenes in that episode. All, all with Donald. All with Donald Glover, yeah. yeah. Uh, Donald Glover and... I mean, man, I still get recognized for that. I still get say, "Hey, ain't, ain't you, ain't you the club owner?" <laughs> <laughs> I literally, I literally get that, and I'm like, "Man, that was four years ago." You know what I mean? But they, but it, that that that's definitely one of the characters that stands out. I would say that's one of the characters that's. Um, I don't want to say very, very close to me, but um, I just, I just knew those people. Yeah, you know you're able I mean? to to put into everything that we just we talked about. You know, at the top of the key, you're able to put into the characters. You know, the music, the clubs. Yeah. You know, the whole New York stuff. Yeah. So that, so that's what that's what that was. I, I got to definitely bring, a, a, an essence of, of that New York vibe 
you know, that, that, that I grew up around. I definitely got to put that in there. When you, you know, disappeared behind that wall, you know, you're like, I'll be right back. <laughs> I was like, man, you, you know, you, you really, um, you became all your roles, you become those roles, you know, um, that one was a, a nice comedic turn. So, I mean, it was dramatic, like, you know, Atlanta is dramatic, but it's, you know, comedic. So that was, that was an amazing comedic turn. But I want to yeah. turn into something that's not as comedic, something that hasn't played yet, and there's a lot of buzz, a lot of hype. You know, when you said in New York, the Underground Railroad was your thing then, would you have known that you were going to actually be involved in the Underground Railroad <laughs> at this time? I mean, that, it's, it's one of the most anticipated projects, bar none. You know, so I know you can't say everything about it, but, you know, here at Screen Heat Miami, we like to get some exclusives. So um, talk a little bit about that. And the synchronicity of that. And, and it's funny that you tied that together because I didn't know you were going to do that. You know, so <laughs> it shows you good at what you do, man. Uh, this whole synchronicity that that because that's one of the things I even mentioned when I be, became a part of this, sh of this show. I was like, wow, the Underground Railroad, and here I am with Barry Jenkins, Oscar winner, but for Moonlight. And um, this, this is, you know, if y'all like Lovecraft Country, and, and like I said, these are gonna be two totally different things, two totally different aspects of, of African-American life, the African-American experience. Uh, but when when this when this comes, bro, because it's it's based on a book by Colson Whitehead and a Pulitzer Prize winning book. And I tell you, when I picked that book up, I said, "Let me read it," because I like to do my research. That I said, "Let me read the book and, and see what this is about." Dude, I could not put that book down. And so, what what I can say is that it is a historical fictional piece and that and it's based off in the book basically the Underground Railroad you know the author thought it was an actual train right now and if you're young of course of course you would naturally think that you would you would think it was a train so he so he wrote his story around this now this now actual train that takes slaves into freedom. It's, it's, and it's, it's a pretty amazing concept. And, and though he's throwing these fictionalized pieces in there, he's telling so many historical stuff. And he's also not leaving out the real experience because when you're dealing with, because we're in the 1800s, so we're talking about, you know, the slavery, slavery still going on. But every piece that deals with that deals with this kind of uh, topic really only touches the surface, right? And what I mean by touching the surface and what was really done to us mentally, emotionally, spiritually. What do we see? We see the same three things: either you whippings, the rape, you know, the physical torture and abuse and being torn away from your family. Those are kind of three, four things. Nah, this, this goes into when there is the torture, we're showing you, no, that, that ain't all they did. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm getting emotional about it now. I swear I get emotional every time I talk about this this project because it probably touched me, probably touched me the deepest of anything I've ever been a part of. And and probably one of my most, because I was in Roots, right? So dealing dealing with that the same topic, but but the role I had to play for this, and his name's um, yeah, can they say? Yeah. I mean, I could tell you. Wait, prideful, prideful. It's on IMDb, right? Like, yeah, prideful, prideful. Okay. I play prideful, and um, and just character wise, he's he's that character. You either gonna. You, yeah, man. My, my consensus is that people are not gonna like Prideful very much. <laughs> I don't, you know. Or you're gonna eat, you're either gonna hate them, or you're gonna understand. And it, it is my hope that it's it's a bit of both. You know, um, he's he's because he's the right hand man. Uh, you know. Yeah, I, I, I saw that you were in three episodes on yeah. that. So that's it's, it. Yeah. It has to be a pivotal role. Yeah, and it is 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 pivotal. Uh, it's it's important, and uh, just having that experience to be directed by Barry Jenkins, who who knows what this is like. He knew he knows what he wanted out of this. Yeah, and that, together. Yeah. Not a whole lot I can say. I can't wait. It, uh, unfortunately, it got pushed back. You know, I think we would have seen a release later this year, either in like the fall or winter of this year. Probably would, would have been the fall, but COVID that pushed things back. So there, there's still a few things that has to be shot. So still in production. Um, so, but I think when this comes out in 2021, it, it'll probably be like, I'm proud of everything. Uh, but yeah, emotionally touched by by this one the most. Yeah, of, I have to any. say, you know, I met Barry. Barry actually invited me to the premiere of Moonlight. Nice. So, yeah, I mean, I know I didn't know him actually. I didn't know him. Uh-huh. I, I met him. I chaired the uh, Miami Dade County Film and Entertainment Advisory Board. Okay. Uh, for four years. So it was incumbent. Of, and I'm still on that board. We're all appointed by commissioners, except one person that's appointed by the mayor. But it was it's, it was incumbent upon me to, you know, attend as many, many things as possible. And I didn't find out about the premiere for, for Moonlight until I was out of town. And then I came into town. I was out of town for like a week. I came into town and um, everyone's like, oh, yeah, Moonlight, you know, the premiere is going to be now. And I'm like, oh, shit, I got to get a ticket. There were no tickets available. So... And you couldn't buy the tickets, you know, it was like invitation only, but it was already packed. So they had uh, a panel at the the African Heritage Cultural Arts Center, which is in Liberty City. So I went to the panel, and this, a, a panel before the movie even showed. I was like, okay, I can't go to the premiere. Let me go to the panel. The African Heritage Cultural Arts Center is, you know, one of the most powerful, um, you know, organizations, you know, places here in Miami, you know, it's in Liberty City and it's produced so much talent. So I went there and um, the panel touched me. I was like, oh my God, you know, I can't believe I'm not gonna go to the premiere. Well, I got a, um, 
from you know someone that I know that actually worked on the movie, I got one ticket. And I was like, eh, you know, I was with my girlfriend at the time, one ticket, I need two. And then I got to talking to Barry and Barry was like, oh, you don't have a ticket? You know, hey man, talk to, I think it was one of the producers, somebody, you know, they'll put your name on the list. I was like, cool, you know? So I went there after the screening and you could talk to my girlfriend at the time. She was like, who's not my wife. Um, I was like, this movie, you know, you don't understand, you know, it, this moved me. It was just like something about this movie just really, you know, and I, I could talk about the technical parts of it because this is, you know, what I do and, it, you know, but, you know, it just really, really was just an extraordinary movie, you know, and I, I would just talk, talk about that movie all the time. Got nominated for the Oscar. I was like, I don't know about these other movies, <laughs> you know, and then it won and deserved it because, you know, that movie was a smaller budget, $2 million, $3 million or so, but character, you know, driven. character driven. And that was a big part of it. And really, you know, it feels like, you know, I haven't worked with them, you know, in, in this capacity or seen them work in this capacity, but I'm a director, I'm an actor's director. I started in front of the camera. Look, you hire the actor and then, you know, you let the actor do what they do. You Absolutely. don't micro micromanage the actor because you're not going to get that performance, that real performance if you're micromanaging, you know? And so, man, I can just imagine with a this kind of budget, you know, and, you know, who, 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 who he is as a director, this is just going to be, you know, something not just extraordinary, but, you know, groundbreaking. Epic, groundbreaking. The, he's directing every episode. Oh, What's really? Series? Wow. Do you, do you know that it does that? He's directing every episode. So think that's, of it as- That's you. Like, like him just doing a really, really long movie. You know what I mean? To beat him. His energy, um, what he's able like i don't even know how he maintained the mood that he has like throughout the entire day because you know he just has this really kind of pleasant demeanor about him yeah um and and then he can get what he wants out of you by by being nice you know what i mean <laughs> okay right he has that going on about him and then uh and then the other connection too uh, with Barry Jenkins is because as we talk about Moonlight as I worked with Mahershala on a film nine years before 19 years before called The Wronged Man and he yeah, was that's on my list yeah really wow with Julia Armand so that's when I first met Mahershala I got a, I got a picture with you know him and Julia Armand you know where we're at the rap party and just kind of chilling and so to watch his whole <laughs> trajectory is just absolutely amazing and I, I just i just shake my head at it because it, it's it's just a wonderful thing you love to see for people and you love to see for the people that deserve it and um so he's another one came into the game and just like wow so so that whole circle like that 
you know, I'm like, oh wow, I'm I'm working with Barry. I was I was just hoping to work with Mahershala again. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see that. Um, you, there's another Screen Heat connection because we we interviewed Terrell Alva McCraney, you know, the the writer of the you know the first story for Moonlight. Yeah. yeah. I interviewed him twice. I interviewed him for the African African Heritage Cultural Arts Center. Moonlight, they named the street that the African Heritage Cultural Arts Center is on, they named it Moonlight Way. So it was like, you know, the mayor and like every commission, all the pomp and circumstance. And my company covered that event. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so we, we put together a piece and I interviewed Terrell for that piece. And then I interviewed him for Screen Heat Miami. So you're in great company. You know, and also yeah. I was going to mention this. Uh, we interviewed my writing mentor. His name is Gregory Allen Howard. He wrote Harriet, the um, the film. Yeah. So we interviewed him for Screen Heat Miami too. So yeah, yeah we're um, we're really really uh, happy that you're here with us on uh, on Screen Heat Miami. I'm going to go a little bit more uh, pop and go to Stranger Things. <laughs> I'm going to take it into some strange lands here. Um, yeah, I was, I was the, uh, I played the role of, um, <laughs> I guess one of the scientists, you know, so a, a black man that didn't die. So that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You know, and, uh, um, it, I, I introduced them to, it's the first time you introduced, uh, to the Upside Down, you know, so I think it was the last episode of the first season. And, and uh, like I said, nice little brief experience. Uh, again, Winona Ryder, you know, I, like I said, I show up and I, because many times, you know, uh, as you're building your career, you know, as I, as I still am, as, as you're building and you're growing, a lot of times you have no idea, like, who your scenes are even going to be with? Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, I, you know, or, or or if you could see if it's if it's cast already, but but the thing is, a lot of that stuff they keep secretive, and so yeah, because time, you get the sides, uh, and yeah. the sides are just you know one little section of a part. So right, right, and and you may not know who's playing what yet, you know, as, as they're casting it, and then and so I I I, I didn't know what that scene was going to be, who was going to be in it. You know what I mean? But then it's like, oh, uh, both Winona and, um, oh, why can't I think of his name? Who's going on to do a bunch of stuff as well, uh, are here. And this is great. I was like, this is going to be good for the real. (laughs) 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 You know, but Winona was so like, like just cool, playful, very playful. Um, so see her, you know, when you'd be like, oh, wow, I'm working with Wednesday. No. <laughs> David Harbour. Yes, with David Harbour, who, who is now doing Marvel stuff. Yeah, he's going to be in Black Widow. You see what I'm saying? So I'm, I've always had the opportunity so far to be with, with the main characters. Yeah. Well, I just want to, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of, I'm not going to keep you too long. So I just have I a couple talk- more things. I want to talk, the, the production, how did it feel like being on the set of Stranger Things? 
that was good with the Duffer brothers because it, it was pretty interesting to see, you know, two brothers, you know, Derek Digg and DP together. So that whole tag team thing and all of that. Um, and then I already because if you you work enough here in in the southeast you you know a lot of the crew already you know you see you know they'd be like hey what's up you know so you already know you know majority of the people a lot of times because you worked with them before and other things uh that's that was just it's pretty cool like i said oh and i had a chance to bring my daughter with me uh, that day so i was like you know what you want to just come with me and nice. um and then I asked, I said, is it okay if she, you know, comes and, you know, so I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. She'll just have to be over there. But, you know, it was like, cool. So she got to see that whole process and it's like, oh my God. So young, you guys got to do that over and over like that. It's like, yes, yes. It's not, not actually fun. It's, it's fun to us because we love this. And I'm like, but it's nothing glamorous about it at all. You know? Um, and it, it was just, it was just, set was 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 pretty cool and we were here by emory university like in some defunct library in this defunct building which was pretty cool so which felt eerie on its own so it was the perfect setting for what we shot that day uh but did did ever know that that would blow up to be what it was no i don't think you ever know i don't i don't think you ever yeah. know I, I i think it was just one of those i was like I don't know what this is. Like the day of, and just my, just my short piece and that, I'm like, I have no idea what this is. Cause I never got a full script of it. You know what I mean? Right. So like, I, I don't, stranger, stranger things. I don't know, something strange. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, you, know, you talk about these actors that you've worked with, just what we've talked about, these all, that's already, five Emmy award-winning shows that we've just talked about or coming into the last one that I'm going to talk about. But, you know, so you've worked on Emmy award-winning, so many uh, Emmy award-winning and Emmy nominated and Emmy, you know, multiple, multiple, multiples winning Golden Globe winning shows, you know, that's a testament to your career. So you're like, oh my God, I'm going to work with this person and that person. You know, there has to come a point where people are like, oh my God, Lucian ba Lucius ba Baston is in this. You know, I'm going to work with, you know, Lucius. And, you know, for me, I follow your career. You know, we followed each other, you know, yeah. you know, as, as we move up. But certainly, you know, I'm looking forward to the day that we're able to work together. On, on an Emmy award-winning project. <laughs> I, man, I, I say we got to stay in that constant evolution. You know, it's so funny that I, I've never really thought about it the way you just broke that down. Um, I guess yeah. because I'm just always in this 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 space of uh, just just happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, and work. Yeah. Yeah, and working. And, um, and that, that just said, I'm like, wow, I've, I've really... I've man, I've really been blessed to be able to do uh, a lot of those things and continue to do a lot of those continue to be a part of. But you know, even even internally, I've always liked to be a part of the important projects and the projects that have something to say. You know, and um, not everything is going to be that, uh, but they can be fun. And then you have the ones that have something to say. And I've been man, I, I've, and I've gotten a chance to do historical pieces like quite a few, you know, historical pieces, like like from Roots to Underground Railroad to Lovecraft Country, you know, all these, um, 
oh shoot magic city back when they were shooting that in florida i was gonna get the magic city you know um and let's just stay kind of in magic city when you do these period pieces do you feel like you're back in, in that time you know when they say action and you're in yeah. that character do you feel like you're back in that time it does because you know uh one of the things you learn as an actor is some of the things that affect you are objects that come in contact with the body so whether that's clothes or whatever is on you affects affects your mood it affects your personality and so when you got the whole set that's like looks like in this back in these periods oh it certainly affects you and influences you and allows you to to kind of just sink into that you know a part of your environment is is a huge piece of that so going through that so 50s you know 60s i did love is which was the 90s which was dope oh man i missed that show uh 90s so i got to do these different periods and and it always feels authentic it, you know, nice. uh, yeah, 90s is period now. That's right. Oh, yeah. 2000s is period. Yeah, I had, my, I had my 90s afro, a FUBU jersey. Dude, oh. that, brought, that brought out all my 90s New York. Like, you know, what's up, son? You know what I mean? It just brought out. Right. <laughs> so, Start dancing. Yeah. I, I um, so I want, I want to just move to Queen Sugar and then some of you, because you're a producer and a writer yourself and director yourself. So I'm going to move to Queen Sugar and then move to some of your, your own stuff. Okay. So let's talk about, uh, because Ava, that's what I was saying. You've worked with so many big names and you've been involved in so many big projects. So, um, you know, we have to touch on Ava DuVernay with, uh, with, with Queen Sugar. How was that experience? Uh, another, another one of those, because when you show up and you, and you saw the uh, representation of not only just African-Americans in general, but of women, because uh, she is the number one employer of women directors in the entire industry. Oh, wow. Yeah, so to have that opportunity, and then um, working with Demaine Davis on that. Demaine Davis, one of her first films, I can't remember the title of it right now, but she had worked with Kerry Washington on a film, you know, in in late 90s you know whatever so it's so so to work with her uh to work with that whole that whole cast that that was just fun and and then my man um i can't i don't i can't think of his name right now um the one i had the scene with where uh he's the tall brother he's he's the brother that inherited the property yeah uh earl's trip and I'm not the on every. I haven't watched it, you know, every single episode of Queen Sugar. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yes. but he. Um, but that set was just really, really. Even though we're dealing with like serious matters, you know what I mean. But in between takes, it's just it's fun. Man. It's and and they and watching people just get the job done uh, creatively, watching. It, it, it's just really, like I said, it's always an experience and a lesson. And I'm just taking all of these pieces as I go. I'm doing from it, whether it's di- di- a directorial things, production things, even 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 gripping electric things. All the, how all these pieces come together. You know, be saying because uh, eventually, of course, I'm going to have my you know 
do my own, you know, uh, Kofi, Kofi Cerebro. That's yeah. his name. Yeah. yeah so, but working with him and then uh, Omar Dorsey. Your, Omar Dorsey. I know Omar, actually. Yeah. So yeah, he's, he's mad cool. He's, he's, um, when he's done, he comes back here to Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He lives in Atlanta. I mean, I don't know him from Atlanta. I met him through a friend of mine, Jimmy Jean-Louis, who was on Claws. But, uh... Mad cool. Mad cool. We still stay in touch here and there. Uh, with, uh, John Dre Whitfield. You know, uh, he, he's, he's doing his thing on that show. Uh, God, that was just really, really... And then to see certain people like, um... Uh, Dawn Line Gardner, the role she played as the one, you know, the, the one that went cool and, and all of that, and taking like the role she plays, and she's this tiny woman, but she's a powerhouse in yeah. there, man. And I, I just, it's just always motivational to me, man. So Queen Sugar being able, like I said, to, to do something uh, involving Ava. That's bow, bow, bows all day, man. Yeah, and any show that moves into six seasons, you know, going into seven seasons is, you know, that's that's a testament. Um, but this is, and I'm glad that you said this at this time because this is a great segue into your own stuff. You have taken a lot of what you've learned in production. That's how I was able to even start my own production company. I mean, I ended up going to film school, so that, that helped me to move things a little bit faster, you know? Right. But, right. you know, being in front of the camera, I was the guy that would always go and talk to the electric and the grip and the, you know, cinematographer and, you know, all of these people. When you're acting, you know, you do your thing and then you have a little bit of time. As long as you're not like, you know, in the middle of stuff, you know, people will talk to you. So um, were you able to, in your first production and moving into your later productions, extrapolate a lot of what you learned from in front of the camera to take it behind the camera. Can you talk about the process of doing your own productions and some of your projects? Yeah, absolutely. Because um, even in the beginning, I think after the first two years of being in the business, I realized early on that I'm going to have to create my own, you know, uh, because of the fact that when I left corporate America, I was like, okay, I, I can't have people in charge of my destiny like that. As an actor, you still have people in charge of your destiny, so to speak. So it became more of, okay, I'm going to kill this acting thing, but that's my segue into producing. That's my segue into creating my own content. That's my segue into being a part of the conversation that we have to make our own loaf of bread <laughs> if we don't want to settle. Well, bring it around, that's bringing it around full circle. We started with that making the loaf of bread. Right. <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah. You know, and, and so early on, I, I got involved with something. There was, there's this book series that's uh, uh, it's a sci-fi book series. So I, I, I shot a trailer for it because, and in the weekend we made something very amazing. I have to share it with you. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I'm going to share it with you. And uh, we put together this thing in a weekend. It took us about a month to get everything together, but you know, uh, just getting what we wanted to do. We went, we went to the beach shop we seen, and we then we went to uh, a studio shot the other scenes. So bringing all those components of your director, his DP, uh, yeah, we're gonna have to feed people. <laughs> you know? <laughs> 
you know, yeah, extras, you know, get the time, the scheduling, all the paperwork, the union paperwork for SAG. Because I started to SAG because this was the first time they came out with the new media agreement. And at yeah. the time, they have this budget that you needed to be at to be able to make these uh, make these actors SAG eligible. So I so I deliberately wanted to be SAG so these actors could become SAG eligible. You know, so I gave them an open door for that. You know, you, you know, you got to do this. You got you got to help people along the way. They, they're coming out there. They're not getting paid. They're, they're doing it because they like what you're doing and hopefully something happens with it. You know what I mean? And, that, and that's how it worked, man. It was, we, and, and we shot the teaser in the weekend. It took, um, because it was sci-fi and there was some serious edits, and, you know, and uh, we came the out effects with effects and, and yeah, the effects. A lot of layers, yeah. So what? And even still, I look at it and go, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm excited to see it. Yeah. And then, um, so that already put it in my head. And then, of course, all my other ideas, because I'm always writing down my ideas and my notes and, you know, and my, and my one-page treatments and, and all that uh, of, the, of the things I want to attack and the things, I wa- the things I want to express as a producer, the stories I want to tell and that I, that I feel are deserving of, of that of these narratives that we're telling now and actually have the uh, uh, ability to do so. And the last thing that I did was recently, we went, we won a bunch of awards with our film 83 days, which is about, now I, get, I have to send you, there's a link to that. I'll send it to you too. In this, like, you should have sent that to me first. I know. I totally. Think <laughs> no, it's all it. good, man. We, we're going to have you back. So, you know, when we have you back, we'll, uh, we'll- you stuff that I forget and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. You know. <laughs> uh, but it's at 83days-movie.com. So you, you'll be able to see it. We put it up for free on a platform. Uh, but it's about George Stinney Jr. He's the youngest person put to death by the electric chair back in 1944. Whoa. Yeah. And, and, well, and, you know, I try to take us up at the end of the interview. <laughs> yeah, you brought us well, back down. But we're still being up because here's the thing, because here's, here's the story. If you've seen The Green Mile, right? Yeah. Everybody loves that movie, right? Um, after understanding it was based on the life of George Denny Jr. And now, it's so funny because now I'm like, I don't like that movie anymore because they fantasize and romanticize. They made it kind of like this magical thing going on. Yeah. And, and when you find out the real story, oh, this was a 14-year-old boy that was put to death. They actually, he was so small. He was under 100 pounds. He was so small that you, back then they had Bibles that were this thick, these really thick Bibles. They sat him on his Bible as a booster seat to put this young boy to death for crimes he didn't commit. And then it was, it was like 70, 76 years later, his sentence was vacated. Oh, wow. But we, we, we told this story. You know, we wanted to tell the story. Got the feature, you know, as as a teaser and saying, hey, but we, you know, looking for the funding to do the feature film. But so, but um, but the short in itself is just this that we've taken that story, which which just has a lot of layers to it, and, and put it into the small little package, you know, this twenty nine minute package, and you know, and I got to be again a part of that. I got to you know bring my prowess to bring my. Um, my contacts to it to to bring what I do to it to act in it and so um 
Yeah, just bringing all those pieces that I've seen over the years, and and I and I think for me, I think the producing part is really a lot of fun because you're bringing all the pieces together, and I, I kind of enjoy doing that, you know. Yeah, so that definitely, you know, I, I'd like to talk to you about that project moving forward. It this is interesting. It took Gray Rail and Howard twenty five years to bring Harriet to the screen, and uh, you know he pulled together. A lot of the contacts from his time over the years, you know, he wrote Remember the Titans, so everything from Remember the Titans to Harriet. And then, you know, he, was, he served as a producer on the project. And so, you know, oftentimes that's ultimately, you know, what it boils down to, you know, your your track record, what you've done, what you have, you know, in, in your pockets, your heart, your soul, and your mind. So, you know, I think that this is a, kind of bring it bring it home moment because not only am I a fan of you as an actor, now I'm very much looking forward to what you're gonna come out with as a producer. I mean a feature a feature most certainly um I see in your future. So um and episodic too, don't get me wrong. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, as, as far as feature-wise, I actually have, and it's up on IMDb now, but I, I got a kind of like a historical horror film. Um, oh, wow. Called Seeing, and where, where I'm dealing with basically when the slaves were being freed, there's a place called the Devil's Punch Bowl. And where oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I, based yeah. in that actual historical place because most people don't know about it. And, and I guess, guess kind of like in the, in the vein of what Lovecraft Country is doing is that I'm, I'm going to be showing you about a place that actually existed that that we never learned about in American history. A lot of things that are swept under the rug and I'm going to bring them to the surface and entertain you at the same time. Okay. Um, I'm excited. I'm even more excited now. Uh, so uh, as we get to the tail end of our interviews, we now, I started a tradition on the first interview that we carry forward. Our, our very first interview was with Adrian Wooten, who's the film commissioner of London and the UK. Basically, that's his position, you know, but he does so much more. Um, so I started this tradition when uh, we first started Screen Heat Miami, which is um, a tradition that takes everybody back. So think back to the future. If you could go back to um, a baby, no, not a baby Lucius, <laughs> but a younger Lucius, a DJ Lucius, uh -huh. what would you tell that younger self now? What advice would you give that younger self? Oh wow, that's that's a that's a hard one because sometimes your experiences are what guide you. Um, I think back, if I had to, if if there was one thing I could go back and tell myself is to pay attention to these things that you love and move you, because those are the things that you can actually make a career from. See, because we right because we grow up you know, can then to go get a job, to go to school and get a job. And that that creative side of you really wasn't worth anything, didn't have any value. And it has the most intrinsic value of many of us, especially as creatives. And I would have said, I would have told myself, whatever that is, run with it, run, you know, and, and, and then 
I wouldn't have been waiting till you know my late thirties, whatever, getting into the business. You know what I mean, but I'll say our path is our path. But but certainly, I would have said, whatever that music is, thing, go go bigger. Whatever it was that 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 moved you creative, go bigger. Just just go for it. You know, I, yeah. I never I never had the the bravery to do so because that bravery wasn't instilled in me coming mm-hmm. up. You know, it was I wasn't conditioned to look inward and go do those things because our parents didn't have the same opportunities. You know what I mean? So, right. you know, so life was very different for them. And so they're only teaching you what they feel, you know, what your life is going to be like. And, uh, yeah, I, I would have said run that, that at, at that 11 years old, I'd go back and whisper in his ear, see what you're doing right now. Run. Run with it. Yeah. So that's that's great advice for anyone in any career, not just the film and entertainment industry, but in any career. But um, as far as advice, the second part of this is what advice would you give someone that wants to get an industry that is in the industry and wants to move forward? Someone that wants to end up working on all of these Emmy winning and nominated shows and Golden Globe also winning and nominated shows. What advice would you give this person? My first advice to somebody who is is thinking about it is don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're going to push that to the side. Don't do it. Some comedy in there. uh, Yeah, man. Because here's the thing, because you, you don't want to get into this for the wrong reasons. If, if I, I say, if you are getting in, in this business just to be popular, then then go do something else. You can be popular on YouTube. You can be popular on TikTok. You know, you just want to be popular, then go be popular. This is like a hard job. I think Chadwick Boseman uh, said it best in one of his uh, Hollywood roundtables. He said, you know, this is like a blue collar job, man. It's like you, you're doing so many things and you're giving so much of yourself. We give more, way more of ourselves than anybody does on like kind of like a regular nine to five job, the way it's set up, you know? And so I'd say, you know, if, if you understand this is not glamorous at all, and you're going to go a long time without being able to make enough money from doing it that you have to have side hustles and then then they'll do it. this is hard this is hard this is if if this is your career then you got to be in it and 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 what and whatever it brings with it if you don't have the wherewithal or thick skin for that if you can't take hundreds of no's before you get your first yes this is not for you. Uh, uh, as my man David Arnold says, this is not for the week. <laughs> you know, uh, if you're already in it, then you kind of understand that already. And, um, and you, you just got to stick with it. Like, I've always had a, be, a believing. I said, oh, my God, yeah, I'm going to be successful in this. It, it's just a knowing. It's just, it's just a knowing. I, there's never been any doubt. There's never a question in my mind. I, I don't have like, I, I don't even have the days that go, man, am I, am I doing the right thing? Am I, I have none of those days because one, because this was the one thing that pulled me so much. What they say, um, that your pain pushes you until your, until your purpose pulls you. 
and my, my purpose is pulling the hell out of me. So there's no doubt. There's no cynicism. There's no, and I'm like, so if you don't feel that way, you might want to do something else. If you're just thinking about it, but I would love to be on TV. So cute. You know what I mean? My friends, oh my God, all these, I don't, I don't, this isn't about fame. This, this is about expression. This is about artistic expression. And it's also a business. So, so you have to be able to marry the two. Understand that this isn't about you. Because <laughs> it's not. It's not about you. Until, until you have the money and the finance and the resources that it can be. Wow. <laughs> boom. <laughs> you see, I said boom because yeah. I don't think there's nothing else to say after that. <laughs> Lucius Baston, incredible interview. Thank you. Um, you really uh, you heated it up for Screen Heat Miami. So um, it's been an honor and a privilege. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I appreciate. Until, until we're working together again, or working together on our projects. Period. Right. And we and we have you back because we definitely have to have a part two. Um, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate you, Matt. And we're back. Yes. That was something. What a career. As usual. What a career. Incredible. This man went from DJ to the military to picking up the trade of acting and it is it has been an incredible ride for for Mr. Baston as they say life is a journey not a destination man so he's going to be in Barry Jenkins latest project incredible the underground can't wait to see that I cannot wait I mean you know, we got another little screen heat exclusive insider information. Not too much. Not that I didn't no, try. No teasy tease. <laughs> but, you know, it's always great to see that connection. Mm-hmm. Barry Jenkins. Terrell Alva McCraney, who wrote the original story for Moonlight. They won the Academy Award together. What is it? Two degrees of separation here on Screen Heat Miami. You can go back and listen to the Terrell Alva McCraney interview. Oh, yes. Kevin Bacon got six. Screen Heat got two. What you going to do? (laughs) Killing them like the Canes. Hells yeah. And speaking of killing it, I can't wait to jump into this next session and bring our good friend Intern Andre back on the show to talk about Mandalorian season two. Yeah. Saw the trailer, just straight fire. Straight fire. Man. The Mandalorian. Man. They were nominated for some Emmys. Didn't win. They were nommed. The, the best, by far, the best thing that the Star Wars franchise has done since the original trilogy. Wow. 100. That's bold statements there, my friend. I, and you know who else stands by it? Baby Yoda. Oh, Baby Yoda. <laughs> wow. Talking about the merch, baby. <laughs> yeah, Disney. 
Not only did they drop the new teaser, they're dropping the merch already. I see you got your own. (laughs) I guess your kids demanded it. Yeah, yeah. My son Gabriel's at 15 months, so when I stroll him around, I kind of pretend like I'm uh, I'm the Mandalorian, and he's Baby Yoda. (laughs) I kind of let the stroller hover next to me, all badass-like, you know? Yeah. Turn to him, I go, this is the way. When we're going to Publix, you know, <laughs> get that chicken sandwich. This is the way. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to keep your head in the game. So, Andre, tell us, what's the scoop? What's popping with Disney intern, Andre? There is, there is a conspiracy theory going on. As excited I am as for uh, Mandalorian, because I love season one, um, this doesn't have the, what, what I have. The scoop I have isn't for the Mandalorian, but it does have to do with Disney. It's Disney. Disney is the Mandalorian, and Mandalorian is Disney. They are one. It's it's. Disney. I have spoken. Uh, I talked with Kevin a little bit about this, but uh, I don't know if you knew JL, but this year they were supposed to release the Jungle Cruise with uh, The Rock and Emily Blunt. Um. I, I'm a huge, huge Disney Parks fan. I, I, I know the history of, like, rides. I know Imagineer's names, you know, all that all that stuff. I'm a very big Disney Parks fan. And in the parks, the Pirates of the Caribbean, the Haunted Mansion, the Enchanted Tiki Room, and the Jungle Cruise are all connected. They tell an intertwined story. That you have to look deep into the rides and you have to find different... Um, details in the parks to kind of connect it. And there's a bunch of other rides that are connected with them as well uh, throughout the world, actually, in different parks. Um, There's this underlying society called the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. Uh, They have restaurants, rides, movies in in all parks in all all over the world. Um, So, yeah, this year, Disney was supposed to release the Jungle Cruise with The Rock and Emily Blunt. Uh, they had to push it back to. They pushed it back to next summer because they wanted, you know, a bigger crowd in the in the theaters. I don't think. I think they saw how people reacted to the Mulan thing on Disney Plus, and they kind of wanted, you know, let's make this more of a, a bigger deal. So they they waited uh, till next summer. Um, but I think it was. It could have been the same day that they announced they were pushing it back, or maybe a week later. They announced that they were making a new Haunted Mansion movie separate from the old Eddie Murphy one. And uh, I think the writer, they announced the writer, and I think they want Guillermo del Toro to direct. They they haven't attached a director yet, but I think Guillermo del Toro is in the talks. And they announced a new untitled adventure project. Now, the talks within the Disney community, you know, the Disney Parks fans, is that they are working on an intertwined Disney cinematic universe with the Haunted Mansion, Jungle Cruise, maybe a Big Thunder Mountain movie, all the rides that are connected in the intertwined, like, story of the parks, that they might try to do that in the movies, depending on how the Jungle Cruise works. Because if it flops, then they might cancel it like they did um, 
dark universe, whatever the Universal tribe with Dracula and all that oh, stuff. Oh yeah, and the Mummy, Tom Cruise. Yeah. That, yeah. That's what it was, the Mummy. Um, but if it does good, then I guess they're gonna try to you know implement all the all that stuff into the movies, which I'd be excited for. That's one of the reasons why I do love the parks so much. I love the little details, the little story, the uh, story beats that they tell with you know deep not a movie where it's like in your face. It's like little details that you have to look for. I think it's really cool. I had no yeah, idea. Yeah. Little Easter eggs. I like it. A Disney attraction cinematic universe. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's funny. Well, most of the rides you mentioned are in the, the area they call Frontierland, right? You know, so you have Jungle Book, yeah. Pirate, um, you know, obviously the Tiki experience. Those are all Frontierland, obviously. Uh, then obviously Thunder Mountain or, yeah. So there's, there's kind of a connectivity in terms of even the area of the park where all those attractions are located. So I imagine Imagineers going back in and just kind of repopulating those attractions with little Easter eggs from the movies so that to make those connections more visible, similar to what they did with Pirates, where they, they kind of plugged in the, um, the whatchamacallit, the, the Johnny Depp character in yeah. various little locations throughout. Makes a lot of sense from a, a speaking of branding and marketing for Disney to, to do that, just to, to kind of re-energize interest in, in going back to the theme parks. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I, 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 went, to, I went to Hollywood Studios, actually, like um, a few weeks ago. Cause you know, that's where all the new Star Wars stuff is and like a new Mickey and Minnie ride and obviously all the new stuff, you know, so they packed that part in, even though it was, you know, COVID. So they didn't let that many people in, but you know, that's where everyone wants to go. So I, I, I bet they want, cause I think the 50th anniversary is coming up. So I bet they want people to come into, you know, the classic park and they're, they want to upgrade all the old rides. I, yeah, that makes sense. Well, thanks for that update. We're, we're excited. Now I'm going to have to pay closer attention next time we take the kids up to Orlando. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. One, one final note on that, and I don't know if you guys knew that they're going to be reimagining Splash Mountain as um, Princess and the Frog. Yeah, I yeah. heard that. I did they're hear that. Yeah. The, the Tiana makeover. Yeah, <laughs> Splash Mountain has some, you know, old school thoughts. Yeah, behind it. So I'm not going to dive too deep into that. Splash Mountain, get it, dive. Yeah. I'm not going to dive too deep into it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, they are re reimagining. And Disney, again, you know, they took a little bit of a hit uh, with Milan. I think they did, in terms of the numbers, I think they did okay. But in terms of the hit, you know, with the, the PR, you know, that was a... It's a little bit tough. It's a little bit tough there. So, I saw it, yeah, I'm sorry. There you go. Uh, I saw Mulan. I saw it. It was um, not great. <laughs> you, you paid the thirty dollars. My aunt did, and she wanted to have like a little movie night. So I was like, yeah, might as well. I liked it. I saw it. I liked it. Okay. I like the original better. The original was a little less on the nose. Yeah, but you know, it's kind of, you know, with these live action remakes, I did like um, the Latin, Will Smith and Aladdin. I didn't, yeah, I didn't I think that. I was going to like that as much. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, the, the live action was, you know, pretty good. We talked good. about John Favreau and the Mandalorian, but the Lion King to me fell, fell a little bit flat in terms of, you yeah. know, comparison between the original and, and that one. A you little know? lifeless. It's kind of hard to make 
animals emote like that? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know, you know, the classic animated versions, it's going to be kind of hard to, to beat those. But, you know, for me, Mulan was good to, you know, get the whole family together. And, you yeah. know, I didn't know the other controversy before I saw it. So, you know, but, uh, but anyway. Speaking of controversy, I think we need to jump into it because I'm so excited. And thank you, Intern Andre. Intern Andre! Intern Andre. Anytime. Not in the podcast room. We can't give you your your big intro and outro, but uh, <laughs> but you know yeah. we feel it in our hearts. Of course, me too. Yes. Baby Yoda gives you a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, you can't see Baby Yoda right here in the webcam, but uh, he's right there in our faces. <laughs> but uh but yeah let's uh before we before we wrap things up tiktok drama tiktok keeps coming back in your face <laughs> thought it was gonna be microsoft thought they were gonna go away totally then here comes the oracle oracle <laughs> sweeps in takes it away What's going to happen? Yep. It's a saga. It's a never-ending saga with TikTok. It's, a ne- it's ju- yeah. It's like a Disney saga there with TikTok. Unbelievable. Yeah, that there's going to be a movie a la the network. <laughs> I think or, yeah, or the social they, network. <laughs> it needs to be something. So it looks like TikTok is going to survive. It's going to survive all this. So all the TikTokers and their content that they've invested in over all this time and their millions of followers <laughs> It looks like they're gonna uh, be able to um, to keep going, to keep TikToking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a TikTok guy, so they can keep doing whatever it is they do to whoever they. <laughs> is that. Uh, <laughs> but good for them. <laughs> yeah, I have a little bit of investment in my company anyway. TikTok content. Right. So can we make a green heat TikTok video with Baby Yoda? Got to do it. Love you got to do you it. You uh, gotta here get, comes the, the baby Yoda. <laughs> yes, yes. You got to get your baby Yoda just right. All about the you. He knows. <laughs> he knows about it. <laughs> I did want to end off in terms of things kind of moving forward. So last year, I bought the... I have an iPhone and and uh, Android, so I bought the iPhone 11 Pro, which I thought was brilliant. Um, I actually bought it two days before I left on a, tr- a trip to Europe, and I used that iPhone Pro for a little segment of one of my documentaries that my company is producing. It looks amazing. You know, I, I, I really couldn't believe that cell phone now can produce such great imagery. I mean, you know, of course the sensors are little, the little tiny sensors, um, but, and the cameras, the lenses are really small, but you know, they're, they're doing such powerful, powerful work. Well, the Galaxy Note series, which is the flagship series of Samsung, did not want to be outdone, I guess, and they came with this monster beast of a phone, the Galaxy Note Ultra 20 Plus Pro Max 
whatever else you want to add to this beast of a phone. Three lenses on the back, all lined up vertically. And one of the biggest benefits of that phone is that it shoots in 8K. Who would have thought a phone that shoots in 8K even a couple of years ago? So I've been testing it and it looks it looks pretty good. I mean, you know, you're not going to get that depth ratio, you know, so the pixel depth ratio is not you know, heightened as if you were shooting on a red or if you were shooting on an Alexa or, you know, even a black magic, but it certainly feels like 8k, you know, you have to, of course, you know, have, you know, everything in place, but the phone is pretty powerful and I love it. And definitely description and galaxy. If you're listening, we are still accepting sponsorships for this year. <laughs> we'll take you, we'll take you a Samsung and Apple, Android, Google, everybody all at once. We'll spread the smartphone love all around screen. Heat. They're but all another, valid screens and they're all hot. That's right. They're all hot. But another big benefit of this phone is that, um, it really is geared towards augmented reality. So, and I think I spoke about this on the lot, the last uh, podcast in uh, South Korea, they're being shipped with VR glasses, the in real, the in, in, in real VR glasses and the in real glasses are going to be available here in November, but I'm looking wow. for augmented reality to step up and be I'm huge next year. Thing, Kevin, the only thing left is adding smell-o-vision to smartphones. That's, <laughs> Are they going like to bring said, that back from the 60s? TikTok, fart talk. You're going to have a bunch of teenagers farting into their phones. They don't have buddies. it. Ooh, they'll do it. They'll do it. <laughs> Apple will be first. But, but, but it is amazing. You know, a lot of these companies are making that big investment into augmented reality now, XR you know, which is along with virtual reality, but the augmented reality, Facebook, Alphabet, Google. So I'm looking for um, AR to be really, really huge next year. So we'll see. I'm definitely planning to to do a little short film in AR. So that'll be wrapped up for next year. Bust it out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of busting it out, we've been busting out a lot of content during these times and so excited that you guys have joined us this far along the Screen Heat Miami journey. Yes, yes. So this is Kevin Sharpley. J.L. Martinez along with Baby Yoda. <laughs> and we will see you, hear you next week. Shout out to Intern Andre again. This is the way.